Okay, here we are. Here we are. It welcome is, back. Welcome back. Episode 45. Look at us. Yeah, there's nothing to say about 45. It's no, just, just 45. Solid middle-aged. Yeah. Is that middle-aged? Is that? I don't know, man. I don't know. Sure. Seems sure. middle-aged, 45. Yeah. It seems like when people have midlife crisis sort of thing. So that's like where we are buy with a Lamborghini it. or something. This is the midlife crisis episode. Is that what that, today is? I guess so. Could be. <laughs> All right. I mean, yeah. you and I are both past our midlife crisis. So are we? I don't know. Well, well, I'm just saying, if it was at 45, sure. Then we'd be on that. Yeah. So, hey, this is Ollie. And this is Scott. And we're both older than 45. Yeah. In case you weren't keeping track. And this is Science in Between, also known as two old guys talking about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dad jokes galore. Yeah, great. That was a funny one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there was this one time. <laughs> oh, I remember. Yeah. Now I, I'm hearing like people deleting this from their phones. Right no, for uh, yet again, some people who just came back, they're like, I'll give them one more try. And then they listen yeah. the first two minutes and they're, no. they're like, nope, hasn't gotten no. better. No. no. Or they're exactly fast why I deleted it in the first place to, yeah. to joys. That's what yeah. we've, we've determined. Yeah. That's the best part of the show. They fast forward to joys. Darn straight. All right. So today we're going to talk about learning progressions yeah, and Scott are. and Scott, I, you, you sent me two articles that you thought were like seminal in the learning progressions. Cause this, uh, I'll have to, I'll have to be honest. Like this, uh, this was when my uh, attendance at NARST, which is the National Association for Research and Science Teaching, started to wane. I was like, you know, my some of my work at the university was starting to take me in a little bit of different directions. And so I hadn't attended NARST. Uh, I haven't attended NARST for probably like five years, maybe six years. And so a lot of that conversation around these things were happening there and in the journals um, related to NARST. And so... Yep. I, a lot of this like is, is stuff I'm, I'm really not that familiar with. And so these articles really helped me catch up a bit on what learning progressions are. And I'm, I'm a little skeptical. I'm a little skeptical, <laughs> skeptical here. So I'm, yeah, I'm going to have you play the role of uh, learning progressions profit. Really? That? Yes. It sounds like something that I think you'll be very comfortable being. Yeah. Stone tablets and all. I'm ready to yes. go, man. You're, you're yeah. like Moses. Descending Moses. from yeah, descending from the hell with the learning progressions. <laughs> I have come yes. with the knowledge. Is that what these are like? The learning progressions are like kind of yeah. like the they're like yeah. I mean, they're all stone tablet based. Mm. Um, yeah. So sure. so that part is accurate. Um, but with a list of linchpins and a list of <laughs> stepping stones, <laughs> stepping stones. stepping stones and linchpins, oh. and they're just listed on stone tablets. And if pe- people have no idea what learning progressions, they missed that all, all there because that, yeah. that, that we'll, we'll catch them up, though. And we'll that'll be and the, it, when we do, it'll be so funny. They'll they'll just be rolling no, no. around on the floor like they'll oh roll my. back. They'll want to rewind to go wait, back. Wait, what did he say? Yeah. Really? Oh, that's what the oh, joke that's was. Crazy. Wow. Ollie is yeah. so funny. Ollie is so funny. That'll be the name of this everything. Episode. Yes. Oh, look at you. There was a yeah. dad joke for you. There was. All right. So, uh, the, all right. The, learning the two, progressions. The two articles you had uh, had uh, that you shared with me. You had me read. What, um, you want to talk a little bit about these? Like, why? Why did you select these two? Like, as well. Before I do that, even let me let me talk about um, why we even are having this conversation. Like, why bother? Um, because I think I think it's important to understand that at least 
Um, one of the big reasons we're doing this is because the NGSS explicitly names learning progressions as documents that should be foundational to that the standards. So they say that the NGSS is learning progressions based. And, um, and when you hear people talk about it, um, they often talk about learning progressions in the same breath or context as NGSS. So, so learning progressions are, at least in theory, a, an important piece of the science education research universe. Um, and I think so, it builds off of our last episode, because this is a yeah. sort of like a, um, a tributary off of conceptual change or like maybe conceptual change 2.0, right? It's, it sounds like it is, you know, a, you know, a variation of it or maybe more explicitly, you know, how to do conceptual change. Right? Yeah. I mean, well, and that's one of the big, well, not big, but that's one of the conversations that's happening, especially recently around learning progressions, which is, um, are they a little too, um, too, too stable and sort of cognitive modely, and should that not be how they operate, which is part of the reason I gave you that, that second paper, because sure. it begins to critique that as a, so, so the learning progressions are sort of in flux right now in terms of how researchers are viewing them. Um, but let's, let's take a step back and just say, okay, so what, what, what is a learning progression, first of all? Um, and then we can talk about the two articles I sent. Um, so basically learning progressions are a way to characterize how students ideas develop in a certain area, um, ideally, or theoretically, uh, across multiple grade bands or age ranges. So it's, so it's meant to be pretty long term. It's not like, here's what a kid will learn this year. It's supposed to be sort of, you know, from fourth grade to 12th grade, here's how kids ideas develop. Right. Um, and, and just to put it, to compare it to something that people probably have some notion of. Um, so the AAAS benchmark had, uh, the AAAS, sorry, the American Academy for the Advancement of Science had a, had a, a big, um, series of concept maps basically that they put out that were part of their, um, science literacy initiative, the project 2016, which was, or was it 20, 2061? Yeah. I should know. Yeah. 2061, um, which was in the nineties and, um, coincides with sort of the, the, uh, the original national, um, science ed education standards. So the, so the, the AAAS benchmarks were concept maps that basically said, okay, here's what kids should learn in K to two. Here's what kids should learn in grades three to four. So it was, it was concept maps um, sort of laying out age appropriate understandings of a concept over time. And then it had, you know, different, just like looks like a concept map connections between those things. And um, so it was, it, it had a sort of learning progressions feel to it. And so a lot of questions in the early work around learning progressions is what's different about them than that because that was sort of a characterization of how kids' ideas develop over long periods of time. Um, and there were two differences, two things immediately that were different about the way that learning progressions were conceived. And one is that the, the idea was that the, the ideas that you're characterizing in the AAAS benchmark maps were all normative. They were all sort of correct 
right? right? And learning progressions tried to capture how kids' ideas actually developed, which is to say that there were lots of hybrid and and sort of non-normative ideas that were supposed to be part of these things. Um, so that that was uh, that was a big one. And now I forgot what the second one was, but it was really good. And I'll think of it later. All right. But, um, but yeah, so so oh, I know what it was. And learning progressions were empirical, right? So so the AAAS benchmark maps were just a bunch of people sitting in a room saying, "This is what we think kids at this age should learn, and this is what they should learn next, and then they should learn this next." So it was almost more like laying out a curriculum or standards than it was understanding what kids actually thought. So learning progressions were an effort to actually go out and find out what kids thought and try to map that. Um, so did so that draw, did that research draw on like, like misconceptions work? Cause that's, you know, yeah, it certainly was related to it. Right. Especially in the early days, there was a sure. sense that, um, that learning progressions were sort of meant to be inclusive of misconceptions and alternative right? and, frameworks and all that, right. Whatever you want to call them, right. Non-normative ideas, things that are not the scientific, correct, quote unquote, correct scientific explanation. So, but, but I'll, I'll say, uh, so one of the things that stood out to me as I was, I was reading this was one um, that there's like a whole bunch of terminology that they were introducing, yeah. but that, but that were, although they were trying to av- avoid using normative terms, yeah. they were still, it, they were still like doing it. Right. Cause yeah. they were using things like expert understandings. Right. So yeah. they, rather than saying, okay, this is the right answer. They were saying about what, what experts believe, which, right. you know, come on, that's just like, you know, that's just changing the the deck chairs, right? That's all that's doing. Yeah. And, a little bit. I mean, but carry on. I think you're right, but I, but I, there's a little nuance there. It, yeah. There's a little nuance, but not yeah. much. And, and yeah. I will say the other thing is that there's definitely a, a hierarchical approach that they talk about, which yeah. is like, well, they talk about like, like uh, when they talk about concepts, like a concept that a student would have coming in and someplace we want the students to get to conceptually, mm-hmm. developmentally, they use this term l- like lower level, lower yeah. lever, sorry, and a higher lever, right, as a way of like, you know, helping to get students to grow and develop conceptually. But that that lower, higher you know, communicates definitely hierarchical, you know, understandings and it right. and which is in a, in a way normative, right. It's saying, you know, For like sure these are, is. there's a, yeah, absolutely. So while they're, I think they're intentionally avoiding it, they're not really being that successful. Right. And I think this is one of the big things about learning progressions that people have been talking about since they were introduced, right. Is there, there is this sort of weasel word um, attempt to avoid saying there are right answers and kids have wrong answers and we're trying to get them to the right answers and there are, you know, as you said, almost all learning progressions have levels of some kind, right? Because that's how the progress happens, right? You have to, if it's progression, then you're going from one place to another. And progress indicates that right. that movement is towards something better. So you're, it's sort of built into the word. It's hard to not have that. So that's been one of the big debates is, you know, is the idea here, the idea was that it should take kids actual ideas into account so there we've talked about this in other contexts but you know it's similar to to much of the other research that we've talked about um this idea that kids ideas are valuable and that they should be used in science classrooms as a foundation to move 
students forward in their understanding that it should be built on their ideas. Like that was built into the DNA of learning professions, but it turns out that's really hard to do when you're going to try and characterize patterns of learning, because once you start characterizing patterns, then people start thinking, well, this is the way it works, right? So, oh, some kids think this, and then later on they think this, well, okay, so that's a model. That's a model for cognition. That's how kids' ideas develop. And then you have to take a step back and say, well, yeah, but the instruction had a lot to do with that. So it's not independent of the instruction that those kids had in science. So now the reason that their ideas developed the way they did was because of the way they were taught. And now that that characterization of a cognitive model gets a lot more complicated because you say, well, okay, so are there patterns in the way that kids' ideas develop? And you say, yeah, there are. But but at least part of that is because there are patterns in the way that um, that schools work, right? You know, that curriculum is because we have standards. And so you set up these standards and you say kids at a certain age will be taught certain things. And then that leads to them learning certain things. And now you have a learning a- automatic sort of pattern of learning that develops. And so you say, oh, well, then what you're really doing on some level is you're taking a bunch of data that just confirms that we have a national-ish system for the way that kids learn stuff and kids in third grade to fifth grade sort of learn the same kind of science ideas and that that just happens so so it is you know you end up sort of in a in a bit of a bind here with learning progressions yeah and and so i guess the 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 challenge for me is you know I, i was envisioning how this how a teacher like an individual teacher teaching i don't know middle school science would use this. I mean, like, so there's going to be like this, I mean, ultimately maybe a taxonomy of different learning progressions about like teaching different concepts. So like, you know, I'm teaching, I don't know, density in my middle school class. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And I, and I'm going to say, okay, I am, I am going to assess where my students are conceptually and base the instruction for each one of those students based on where they are. And, and then vary my instruction or instructional approaches because there's going to be bunches of the different students at different places that I'm going to have to say, okay, well, I have to do this type of learning progression for these students and these types of learning progressions for these students. Is that the intent? I mean, because I think that is something that would be really, really difficult to put into practice because they're saying there's not a learning progression. There's multiple learning progressions. You know, at least that's the, right. right. And that, yeah. and that, and they're trying to characterize all these. They're trying to like create sort of like this, maybe a taxonomy of them, right? I mean, is that the, the goal here? Yeah. So, I mean, the idea is that there would be learning progressions that are linked to big ideas, right? So the research that I did was around learning progressions in plate tectonics, right? Sure. So th- that was a characterization of a big idea in earth and space science. It's important for kids to understand. And then the learning progression characterized how kids' ideas developed in that, and it had different components to it. So it wasn't just a monolith; it had pieces. Um, but, but yeah, the idea was then there'd be one for evolution, and there'd be one for you know forces and motion, and there there would be um, these learning progressions for for different, and there have been um, ones developed for many different content areas. Um, now, there's but, just assume that there's one approach for one progression for for learning 
a concept? Because I think that that in itself. Well, is- but I think you st- so sort of yes and sort of no. So the way you described it, it the is that the learning progression tells you how to teach something. And that isn't 100% accurate. I mean, it's meant as a guide to the development of curriculum and assessment. Um, so, but it, it isn't saying there's only one way to teach it. Um, so that's, but what it does say is there are, there are patterns in the way that kids' ideas get more complex or more productive or more um, whatever word you weasel word you want to use that expert, says. Expert, expert. Yeah. Let's, let's. Right. That Let's are use their terminology. Stepping stones towards yeah. the expert understanding, um, and you know, I mean, I think the subtle difference that I was trying to point out there about correct and expert is, um, you know, if you say expert, what you're really saying is, you know, we have a current, we do have a current understanding in science, right? Like there is a there is an expert notion of say plate tectonics um, that is a characterization of how we understand a dynamic Earth. Um, but when you think of that as right, that's where you start getting into trouble and you get into trouble in lots of ways. But one way you get into trouble that it has become more and more important is that science is a way of understanding a dynamic earth, but it's not the only way. Sure. Um, and so when when you say like this is the way the world works, then you have a then you're in a trickier space. So, so I guess the, uh, the caveat is the nature of science type of stuff, right? It's the, you know, it's like, That's okay, right. at sci- least one right. of the caveats. Yeah, right. sure. It's like, okay, we're going to use expert because, you know, the, our understanding of science is constantly changing. And so it's our right. best understanding right now, but you know, it could change in the next, you know, year, two years, five years, you know, all of that, because science changes as we get more evidence and more information and our tools change. And so, right. you know. But they're still by still using that terminology, they're still assuming that there's that, you know, there's still, I, I guess, a bias, right? They're still communicating a, a bias for, you know, students wrong understanding. They're not using that right. terminology, but yeah. they're but they're couching it in, I guess, I guess, more palatable terms. Right. Well, and, and the challenge is the fundamental challenge is like we do have a goal state for kids understanding. Right. right. Like we, do, we don't want to say like, OK, our goal in science is that kids don't really know anything. We don't really care. Right. We don't care what they learn or what they know. And, and that's that's just not the way schools operate. Right. Like you have a goal state. You say like, OK, we want kids to understand something. And and what is that thing that we want them to understand? Well, let's characterize it. Now, whether you characterize it as the current expert understanding or whether you characterize it as the right answer, you have a goal in schools. So so on some level, you know, and learning progressions took that up and said that's what they call their upper anchors. Right. Which is sort of like the the goal state for uh, for a learning progression. And they said those are societally determined. Those are not right answers. That's what we decide as a as a national or local community that kids should know. Um, so that's what determines those sort of up quote unquote upper anchors in a learning progression is what does society think is important for kids to know? Now that's obviously slippery too. Right. But, but you know, the, we're doing a new set of PA standards right now. And basically what that is, is a big list of things that we think kids should know. So, and, and those, that big list of, 
things that kids should know becomes then instantiated in curriculum and assessment and all the other pieces of schooling that surround it. No, but so, to be clear, I'm, I'm not saying that kids should, you know, they should be free to learn anything, right? Whether right or wrong, right? And that I'm just, what I'm saying is for a, uh, a field, specifically this area of research and science, to be so focused on language, Right. Because I think they're mm-hmm. very they're very specific in the terms of la- the types of language that they're using. I mean, they're trying to develop their own lexicon that's mm-hmm. going to be unique to this because they're you know, we've we've thrown out some of these already. So this it's learning progressions. They have linchpins, which we haven't talked about those yeah. stepping stones. We have these levers. They talked about le- like so they are introducing a whole lexicon. And I'm just like going, OK. Uh, if those are going to be the choices that they're going to make in terms of the terminology, have they thought about the, I don't know, maybe the the, the normative types of things that communicates or maybe the inherent bias in some of it? Like, that's just that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, like I, well, I'm not knocking it like saying we should just let the kids learn anything. And if they don't understand no, no. the stuff like I'm at, not at all, I'm just saying for so, so a community of folks to so deliberately try to come up with their a brand new lexicon to introduce to uh, a field. It's just, you know, I, w- well, I would have, I would have so, made different choices. Maybe. I don't know. Well, a couple things. First of all, um, I mean, the article that you read is one, one group of researchers, right? So this is not, they did not define the whole lexicon for learning progressions. So the linchpin and stepping stone language that Wiser et al. use in that article. So that's one of the articles, the uh, Wiser et al. We'll put these in the show notes, learning progressions and science article. That that terminology is not universally used by okay. people who do learning progressions work. So that was their attempt to characterize this. Um, and, you know, there are some things, the upper and lower anchors, for example, are pretty standard in in learning progressions work. But the other thing is part of the reason that they do this, and, and we know this because this happens in all sorts of areas of education, is they're trying to use different language, not just because they, um, I don't know what, what the right word is, that they're trying to be weaselly. What they're trying to do is say that there is a distinction between the way that they are talking and the way that other people talk about these ideas. So the reason they're using all this language like linchpins and stepping stones and you know all the language that that they use that's sort of different than standard um whatever standard means um they're they're doing that with the intent of trying to separate the way that they think about things from those very um specific cognitive terms um or or sort of ideas about the way that we think about learning. So they were trying, I mean, one of the things that learning progressions really tried to do, and and it's debatable whether it succeeded at all, is try to recognize that learning is contextual, that it isn't some magical, perfect cognitive model, and that a learning progression just tells you how kids learn in an absolute sense. Um, they, They were trying to get away from that idea, and they were trying to say, look, learning is contextual. Learning draws on the ideas and experiences of of kids, and we should have a way to represent that. Now, the the problem continues to be, um, I think, in learning progressions is that once you characterize something that way, even if you say all those things around it, say, well, you know, this is contextual. We only had these these kinds of students in this kinds of schools that we did the date. Well, as soon as you've 
captured something and and named it, then people start using it like it's the truth, right? And yeah. we have we have this problem in education all the time. I mean, you and I have had this conversation a lot, but the example I always think of is multiple intelligences. I mean, yeah. Howard Gardner like used this as a way to characterize interesting differences in the way that people think about things. And what it got turned into was like this whole learning styles nonsense where like, right. I'm a kinesthetic learner, I'm an auditory learner, which is, which is a complete misrepresentation, both sure. of his work and, and it's damaging, frankly, to the way and that it's, people and it's think pervasive. about it. It's pervasive. Right. Like it is like, I can't tell you the number of graduate students that I work with. So these are people who are in in schools teaching, maybe have been teaching for five, 10 years, who, when I tell them, you know, learning styles has been debunked. There isn't really much research to support learning styles. Like there's no such thing as a kinesthetic learner. There are different ways of learning. There are different modalities of learning that we're all kind of kinesthetic. We're all kind of, you know, uh, visual. We're all kind of like all of that. Right. And that none of us have this predominant way. I just think that um, the reason why I caught on was that it's like, okay, I can characterize myself. It's kind of like, you know, like astrology. Like, I'm yeah, it Aries. is. It's totally I'm like, like astrology. <laughs> like, I'm an Aries, and that yeah. kind of describes who I am. Yeah. We're all kind of like all of those, right? So we find the thing that we're, you know, it resonates a little bit with us. I'm like, ah, that says something about who I am as, uni- as a unique person, as a unique learner. And, right. you know, eh. No, no but I mean, it's total nonsense. And it's, and it's super frustrating because it is pervasive, right? right? And and so people believe it to be true. So I think I think that is it's the same problem that learning progressions is grappling with, is like we, we want to know something about the way that kids' ideas develop because that can help us. If we know that, we can make better curriculum. We can design better assessments. We can make school better, right? But the problem is, um, if if we characterize some pattern of the way the kids' ideas develop, it becomes the also, pattern. Yeah, and, and and it's a it is contextual. And yeah. so if you start treating it as the truth, and then every kid is supposed to be like this, and every school is supposed to be like this, then then you've you've twisted this idea, and it ends up um, doing damage. So it's. You know, and again, like multiple intelligences, that's not the intent. The intent is not to to do damage. But the problem is once you reify something, right, once you lay it out, there's a fancy word for you. That's one of my favorite words. Yeah, it's a good word. A once, you, word. once you reify it, once you articulate it and lay it out and name it, then people start using it as if it's the truth. Yeah. And that that is problematic because the truth is contextual. Um, and so that is, uh, yeah, that's, so that's been a, that's been a real challenge for folks who do learning progressions work. And you see that in the other article that I sent you, which was the hammer and Sikorsky, which is a critique of learning progressions. And, and those two scholars have been consistent in their critiques of learning progressions and trying to say, look, you can't just ignore all this contextual stuff. You can't yeah. just pretend that it's not there. And you know, in fairness, most learning progressions researchers, the good ones, are not trying to ignore it, but they're trying to figure out how to how to do it. Like, how do you include context? How do you say, like, well, this is a pattern we saw, but we understand that the pattern is is not going to hold everywhere, and that it was dependent on the kind of instruction that those kids received, and 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 and, um, it's hard. So, so, so where do you think this? 
work will be 10 years from now? And what do you think that the impact of this work will be 10 years from now? Because like, you know, when we've talked about like, I don't know, like two weeks ago, we talked about um, Laban Wanger and communities of practice. And, you know, over the last 15 years, I mean, that the communities of practice concept has been, you know, widespread. And it, I, I would argue that it's made a lot of impact in terms of how people talk about learning and also how they, you know, structure, you know, different types of learning activities, maybe not in, in a classroom context, but certainly outside of classroom context, especially when we're trying to apprentice people into to new, new professions, new um, research groups, new, like there's, it's a, it's a thoughtful approach for, for doing it. And we talked a little bit about that in that episode about whether it's being done with, you know, a lot of, you know, it's being done thoughtfully and intentionally, you know, in the ways that Lehman Wanger would have intended, but, um, but that's an aside. So where do we see the learning progressions being 10 years from now? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, my sense is they'll probably be gone, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, I mean, Communities of practice and Lave Wenger, that's a much more fundamental model, right? Sure. So that's a, that's a, that is, and, you know, I mean, you can certainly argue there's lots of people who misuse that too. There's a lot of people who don't really understand what communities of practice are or is as a model. And, um, and they apply it to stuff. They're like, oh, sure. well, we have a group of teachers that meet every week. So that's a community of practice. Right. It's like, okay, well, you don't really understand like what they were trying to get at. Right. And, and it's not necessarily even that that group isn't a community of practice, but it isn't a community of practice just because you say it is. Um, so, so it's not using the, it's not using all of the things with fidelity, right? It's, it's, I think that's probably what it comes down to. Yeah. And then, yeah. And fidelity is a tricky word too, right? I yeah, mean, that's a funny is. thing, you know, it's like, that's one of the, one of the things that I liked least when I was doing sort of, well, and I continue to do sort of curriculum work, but, um, you know, thinking of it as like the teacher, it's a right, wrong thing again, right? Like if the teacher does it right, that's with high fidelity. If they do it wrong, that's low fidelity. When really what you want is teachers who are going to adapt whatever it is to the local curriculum. Like you want that, you want, you want them to adapt it to their kids, Right. But but then you call that low fidelity if they do it. So it's a it's a weird um, yeah, fidelity is a weird thing, too. But all uh, of this comes down all of this. Well, you were going to say something. Go ahead. No, no, I, I I'm using that term not from the standpoint. I mean, I, I get where it comes from, from, you know, curriculum uh, folks, cur- curriculum developers. They'll go, hey, you know, they're not doing it with fidelity. And it's usually right. like, uh, a way to. Uh, explain why something didn't work the way they designed it, right? Because they're always like, hey, I have this, you know, uh, evidence-based curriculum that's going to create some sort Mm. of like, you know, impact on your students. And then when it doesn't happen that way, they go, well, it wasn't done with fidelity, right? that's right. It's the teacher's fault. Right. And so what what I was more explaining was the, the standpoint that, you know, I think people are using the terms community of practice without necessarily implementing it from an apprentice point of uh, point of view or thinking about how to you know enculturate somebody in a uh like a legitimate way where their practice is you know moving towards you know i, I mean we're, we're getting yeah. back into the labor wanger stuff so right. i don't yeah but yeah. But, what no, but i think i think your your point and which i think is a good one and is there is this relationship between ideas and the implementation of ideas. Absolutely. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I think there's a tension there, right. That, 
Um, like, and this goes, this returns to all returns basically to fundamental learning theory for me anyway, is, you know, like when you say something, it, it is not interpreted, um, as you speak it, it is not in, interpreted unambiguously. And this is all, this is the nature of language, right? Language is not without, without interpretation. So when I say learning progression, it doesn't mean some absolute thing, right? It doesn't mean there is a thing in the world that's called learning progression. We all agree. And this is learning progression. And when I say learning progression, everybody understands it, right? I mean, this is the nature of, of human culture and human language is that we are constantly interpreting and reinterpreting the words that we use as we use them with each other. Um, and so that, that makes all this very hard, right? Like we, we want to characterize kids learning and understanding, but the only way to do that is to have them speak uh, their understanding. And once they do, then we have to interpret it. And, and that all of that is non-perfect, right? We don't get perfect understanding. They don't express their understanding perfectly. All those things are connected to each other. So these, you know, these are big ideas. And and I think learning progressions in 10 years will likely have been either abandoned as a project or will be um, modified into some new thing, right? I mean, we see it with the national science education standards, right? Like, we had those in the in the late 80s and the early 90s, and there was all this talk of inquiry science and inquiry-based teaching and all this stuff. And and now that, you know, we're 20 years or almost 30 years beyond that. Um, and now it's science and engineering practices, right? We don't talk about inquiry per se really much anymore. Um, and does that mean that we've totally transformed the way that we think about science teaching? No, it just means that the language has evolved slightly and we talk about it in a slightly different way. Um, and those, you know, from an outsider's point of view, those, those slight differences seem like, you know, academics just fiddling around, but really right. they're meaningful differences. Like inquiry is not the same as the science and engineering practices. And at least part of the reason it's not that is because of things like communities of practice and what we mean by authentic practice and a lot of these other things. Right. Sure. So, so, uh, <laughs> all right. So I don't know where, where, do, where do we go from here with this? Like I think we go away. This is it. I think we're done. <laughs> I don't know. What other questions do you have about learning progressions? Like what, no, what else comes up for you when you look at this stuff? No, I, I, I guess I've, I've, I don't want to continue to poo poo it. Uh, poo -poo. Uh, well, I, I, I feel like I always, I kind of take this, you know, the, uh, the oppositional perspective, right. I always mm. am the, the naysayer, not always, but I, I certainly um, am with this, with learning progressions. And I think I've probably had that, you know, before reading these articles, but even more so, you know, after reading these articles. I mean, when I first, I think I, I was attending NARST and that's when I first heard it, right? At least, you know, in some session, and I was like, hmm, this is, this so is. What, so what's your nay saying about, like, what, what is it, what is your objection to learning progressions? No, I, so I, I, I guess um, the challenge for me is that um, I, I guess I'm, I'm looking at it from, uh, you know, practice. I'm looking at it from okay. practice. Practice. practice um yeah how do we put this into practice not from development of curriculum um but also not only from the development of curriculum um but also from the st standpoint of like an individual teacher you know like i said in a, in a middle school classroom you know 
confronting, you know, 30 different students who have different, Mm -hmm. you know, ideas of density. Now we can characterize those, you know, understandings of density probably in similar ways and put them in different groupings. Um, Yeah. And, and I guess that's the challenge for me is that it's hard for me to see how I would put that into practice. Um, Well, I I mean, it's, it's not going to be a magic solution, right? So, so I guess part of the question is like, well, what's the alternative, right? Like, so, and, and I, I want to be clear that I'm not necessarily arguing that learning progressions are the greatest thing ever, but what I will say is, if you had a learning progression on density, and I don't know if there is one, but let's assume there is, um, and you as a middle school science teacher had access to that, I mean, one of the things that gives you is, well, it gives you a couple things. One, it gives you um, some known uh, kids' understandings that you may encounter when you're talking with kids. So that allows you to prepare for a conversation because you're like, oh, well, kids might think sure. this, right? So um like, for example, in learning progressions work that I did around um, around plate tectonics, one of the one of the things that came up in that work was kids confusion about energy systems. So the Earth as a system, like as a plate system, is driven by internal energy sources. But all of the energy that is talked about pretty much everywhere else in science is really the sun is external energy sources. And so this this creates complexity for kids because they think that plates should be moving because of things like heat from the sun rather than heat from an internal source. So knowing that can be helpful as a, as a middle sure. school teacher. Um, but, but I think that if OK, so if I'm going to say that there's some utility with the learning progressions that should drive changes in school. So I was thinking about this as you were talking that it it should inform the mapping of curriculum from K to 12. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sure. the greatest utility is that if we have a better understanding of where students are uh, conceptually, at least, you know, as a group in mm-hmm. first grade and second grade and then where they are in 12th grade. Cause I think that the one article you, you talked about was very um, critical of the fact that what we focus on is topics, right? Yeah. They focus on topics that we teach. Like, so if in, what do we teach in second grade? Oh, we teach butterflies or we t- teach, you know, dinosaurs or we teach whatever, right. Um, you know, simple machines, right. Simple machines. There you right. Go. Right. So those Classic. are all right. Those are all topics that are taught, not necessarily the bigger concepts that are taught. And so if we start to right. think and map curriculum based on the bigger concepts we want to teach and before we start to get into topics, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it's like, I have a, I have a colleague who, um, who really is critical of, you know, teachers who go to Pinterest, right. Who get their lesson sure. plans from get their lesson plans from, from yeah. Pinterest. Right. And where it like, it almost like active, act, activity based, like it's right. just activity based activity and, mania. Right. And it's like, Oh, I found this really cool activity. What can I do with it? Right. Yep. And, and in a lot of ways, that's kind of like the topic thing. If we're like, okay, we have this really cool topic. What can we teach with it? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if learning progressions, at least the, the stuff that we, we read or the things we'll share in, in this, if it's going to drive some sort of change in education that I would see as being meaningful, it would be the, the, that change in focus. Let's change yeah. some of the focus. But I think that, that it's not the only voice that's saying that, right? It's not. No. Well, you know, and again, NGSS is based on learning progressions and they have that both in their DNA, right? Which is the idea that, um, you know, that 
the idea that you're describing, right, is is fundamental to both the NGSS and learning progressions. So, um, so that I think that's there. I think, um, yeah, it's it's it, you know the, uh, to go back to how else it can be practical. I mean, I didn't give you this article, but Aaron Furtak, who's a researcher at the University of Colorado. Um, did some really interesting work where she was working with high school biology teachers and a learning progression where they were using formative assessments and learning progressions and going back and forth. So they were actually building the learning progression locally while they did these formative assessments. So they would give formative assessments to their kids. They would use that to understand what kids currently understand. And then they would um, teach them and then they would do another assessment and then they were building a learning progression while they were doing this work with students. And they did this over multiple years. So, um, so they, as a professional development tool and as a, as a um, tool for guiding practice, it was very powerful. Now the, the learning progression that they built was also sort of hyper localized, right? It was just for their school. Uh, basically, I mean, they, but they can publish it. And, but the problem then is they publish it. It's been reified and now people think it's the model. Yeah. It's like, this is what we got to do. Yeah. So now everybody should do it this way because this, this school in Colorado did it this way with their kids. And it's like, well, okay. So you sort of missed the point there, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. I think this is, I mean, I think in many ways, this exemplifies the challenge that we have in education, which is we want schools to be better. We want kids to know and understand things more richly and, and more meaningfully. Um, and also at the same time, education is contextual. So, so if we try to characterize what better means, then we've got ourselves in the spine where we think that better means the same thing everywhere. Right. Oh, and then we have a problem, right? Because because now we think there is one correct, better answer. And that's, that's the tension, right? So you, you know, again, going back to multiple intelligences or any other sort of big concept, you know, uh, mindsets, I mean, uh, all right. this. Stuff, oh yeah. The mindset, right? like mindsets everywhere right now or grit or whatever. Or resilience. Like oh boy. Howdy. So like all this stuff, like people, characterize it to try and help us understand the rich complexity that is school and learning. And then what happens is people turn it into a hammer and start running around smashing people with it. So it, it is a hard problem. Like uh, how do you, how do you characterize something in a way that will be helpful to people so that they can make schools better? um, But not that they turn it into a, a weapon for destroying the experiences of kids in schools. Wow. That's that, that we, we should rename the episode for that. Like yeah. uh, not weaponizing or like, yeah. De- de-weaponizing learning ideas or yeah. whatever. Yeah. It just rolls off the tongue, but no, that's, I'll think of a, I'll think of a clever. No, but I, I, I think that's, that's what happens is these really good concepts get introduced and then they get weaponized. And yep. that is, and then it's like, we're, we're a mindset school or we're yeah. a, you know, insert next movement. And right. then, and then that's why when something really good comes along, that teachers is like, okay, this is the next thing we're going to do. And, right. and, and if and more experienced teachers just go, okay, we're just going to ride out this way because there'll be something else coming along. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And that's the challenge. With yeah. All well, it's, and it's the nature of progress, right? I mean, things move forward. And so, 
and they move forward, especially in systems as complex as schools, they move forward pretty glacially, pretty slowly. Um, and what that does is it sometimes gives people the impression that there's no difference, right? Like the new math is not different than the old math, right? It's just like, well, okay, the new math, the new math. And like you say, we'll just ride it out and yeah. eventually the old math will be back. Um, so yeah, I mean, <sighs> well, we landed so, like in a, a pretty negative space and I think I'm probably due to that. I apologize. Yeah. If, it's all your fault. It is. You, you have broken single-handedly broken the educational system. And right. Here we are. Well, now, you know, I am kind of a negative person. That's what people have said about me. No, I, they haven't. I say it. I say it every time. <laughs> I'm like, God, oh, that Ollie, he's just like a ball of negativity. I am. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, so, that so would let's be a really transition good, to joy. That's right. Nice. You just stole all of the wind out of my sail. Yeah. You're a horrible I like to person. Do that. Yeah, it's true. That's, yeah. People so do, do you, actually say that about me, that I'm a horrible person. So so you're a ball of negativity, but I'm actually a horrible person. I'm, I'm currently putting that on Rate My Professors for yeah. you, Scott oh McDonald. It'll be the first one. Yeah. Nobody, nobody rates me on Rate My Professor. No chili why. peppers for you, my friend. No, nothing. <laughs> I don't got nothing. <laughs> So yeah, you have a joy. Do you have uh, any joy that you want to share? I, I'm joyless. No, I have a joy. Sure, I have a joy. All right, Ready? bring it. Yeah. All right. So, um, so it's a new show that uh, that my wife and my youngest child and I are watching together, and it is called Sweet Tooth on Netflix. Oh, that is so good. I was. You, did, you were going to say this. No, I was I did I was going to say did I say it last week? Maybe did, you did say it last week. I think I did say it last you week. You did, so I now I got to think because no, it's all good. You could be your it could no, be your I can't. I, we can't repeat a joy because uh, we, we uh, pe- this is what people tune in for. They 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 skip all that earlier nonsense where we're negative and and horrible people, but and then they go to the pretty joy. Awesome. Sweet tooth is awesome, but but you give your joy, and I'll see if I can think of another. Well, joy. I'm going to kind of like. Um, Season two of Lupin just dropped. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. So even though I've talked about Lupin before, right, I'm going to say it's a different thing because I'm going to talk about season two. Yeah, it's <laughs> not a season, though, isn't it? It's it's uh, a part. Oh, yeah, it is part two. Right. Part you're right. Two. Yeah. It is part two. Um, And so these are, you know, what, five episodes each part. Yeah. Part one was five episodes. And these, each one's like 45, 50 minutes. Um, if you like. If you like Ocean's Eleven, if you like Alias, if you like Sherlock, if you're one of these people who likes those shows, if you know what even Alias is, yep. then you're going to love Lupin. Um, there is, you can, I guess, put on the English dubbing if you want oh, to. Oh, do not do that. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> um, but it is uh, French speaking with English subtitles, and it is awesome. And awesome. I was like, how are they going to follow up part one with, but you know, and part two is really, really, really good. And nice. so check it out, Lupin. Yeah, no, the the dubbing is an abomination in that show. I don't know why they even provide it, but please. I, I didn't I didn't check it out. I just said it's an option. Well well, we we turned it on in the beginning just to listen to it, and it it is it is horrible. I mean, it just it's it's the worst thing you can imagine. I don't know what they th- were thinking, but it yeah, please do not watch it dubbed. Um, so, so I'll add a different joy. Um, and we did talk about this one too, but we talked about it prior to the show, but I'm going to say, uh, something that brings me joy or that will bring me joy later today is, uh, a game called Kube. 
And uh, shout out to our our friend uh, Jason Petula, who is a Swedish uh, obsessed individual. Yeah. Um, but in fairness, I did know about this game before uh, before Jason. But it is it is a it's an outdoor yard game. Um, and it, it's a lot of fun. You can play, you play in teams, you can have different numbers of people in the teams. You're basically throwing sticks at blocks, um, which sounds stupid, but it's remarkably fun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so today, later today, we're going to have a little kub. I won't call it a tournament because that, that overstates the, uh, the quality of play that will occur. An an outing. There you go. A Koob outing. We'll have a Koob outing in the backyard. So, uh, so Koob, it's a it's a great um, summer game for for groups of people. So, if you've got a group of people you're looking to entertain, you can set up a Koob uh, pitch in your backyard and play a little Koob. Yeah, I've uh, Koob is one of those games that if you start playing it with around people who have no idea what you're doing, it just attracts people. It, like people yeah. are drawn to it because they're like. I don't know what this is. Can you teach me how to do this? Because it, it's, it's, it's fun. It involves in like, really, you could play this with, I don't know, I don't know, 12 people. Like, like yeah. really you could play it with as many people as you have. And it's just a blast. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, that's awesome. You know, enjoy yes. that today. That'd be great. We'll do that. And maybe we'll put looping up on the, on the, you know, on a sheet oh. on a big screen in the backyard at the same time. So you can, Watch Lupin, or you can play Coop. So you have some French and some Swedish going on at the same time. There you time. go. We're an nice. international party. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Nice. Sounds awesome. Sounds yeah. like. And if you serve some, like I don't know, some other, um, some German beverages, maybe. Something. Oh, German beverages. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Yeah. Some I'm bratwurst. Some bratwurst. Yeah, you could cover. Yeah. You know, yeah. lots of bases. Some French wine. Some French wine. Yeah, we we well, have it all. You do. All of Europe, anyway. I mean, we're not really getting outside of Europe, but is there, is there, right. are there other parts of the world outside of Europe? I guess not really. <laughs> yeah. Of uh, course, I'm joking. I'm joking, but that's a good place for us to leave this yes, episode. All right. It is. Yeah. Episode 45 in the 45, books. 45, our midlife us. crisis. Here it yeah, is. That was the midlife crisis episode. Yep. And this is Ollie. And this is Scott. We'll see you next time. In between. Yeah. See you then.